Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. Have you ever had a client threaten legal action against you and the salon? I know as a salon owner, I'm sure that you've had many a moment where you've had to deal with a situation where things have gone wrong, like a really bad color mistake. And in return, you have to deal with an unhappy, frustrated client. The service didn't meet the expectation of the client and you're left to clean up the mess that's been left behind, possibly by your team member. Sometimes this means dealing with further legal action. Yikes, hopefully not. Unfortunately, though, that's just what happens when we work in the service and client-based industry. Or is it? Things are going to go wrong. Humans are going to make mistakes. But it's how we overcome these moments when we have things go terribly wrong and whether or not we have things in place to prevent them from ever happening again. I want you to be prepared for the worst case scenario, the what-ifs, because It may just be the thing that saves you and your salon in the future. We need to keep ourselves and our salon protected from anything that may happen. So this is why I wanted to introduce to you Riona Green. Now, she's a hairstylist turned lawyer. Who would have guessed? She's the founder of She Trademarks, uh, an attorney or lawyer that specializes in the beauty and the hair world. So I take my hat off to her for this you're a champ. Because Riona is so specialized in our industry, like there seriously aren't that many hairstylists turned lawyers, I want you to soak up everything that she has to say about how to protect your salon when things really do turn to shit. So let's keep listening and let's meet Riona now. Riona, thank you so much for joining me on the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Nice to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Well, uh, before we get started, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about who are you, where do you live, and uh, what do you do? Sure. So my name is Rihanna Green. I am a hairstylist turned attorney. That's how I like to describe myself. I have um, been in the beauty industry since I was 16. I was licensed as a nail technician at that time, and 17 was licensed as a full-blown cosmetologist. I did that all the way through undergrad and law school. And then now I am a lawyer and I primarily practice around the beauty professionals, beauty industry, because it's an industry I know and love and an area that I want to make sure our beauty professionals are protected in. I love that. I'm sure there's a very small pool of people who were stylists and then became lawyers. (laughs) Have you met anybody else like yourself? I haven't, but I did have somebody the other day on Instagram tell me that she is finishing up her undergrad degree and is thinking about going to law school and she's currently a hairstylist. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, nice. I love it. Well, I'm excited for our conversation today. Um, and I want to sort of start talking about uh, something that's, you know, unfortunately reasonably common, and that is when things go wrong in the salon. Because as much as we try, 
humans make mistakes and uh, this you know does happen from time to time um, and it reminds me of a story uh, when I just had my first uh, my second son so I was home I was on maternity leave and I got a phone call at night it was about nine o'clock at night from a client from the salon and unfortunately she had been recommended by a friend of mine to come to the salon so she introduced herself and she said I came to your salon tonight to uh, have my blonde touched up and I now have brown hair and I was like oh my word what the heck anyway long story short the girl more than capable stylist had just literally picked up the wrong tube maybe the tube had been put in the wrong box don't know she'd squeezed oh, it no. out and it was a brown <laughs> it was brown and she'd done a whole retouch of blonde and she turned her brown completely mortified um a hard pill to swallow especially because she was a friend of a friend but these things happen do you know like a simple mistake like the wrong tube going in the wrong box these things can happen um, how can we protect ourselves in terms of, I guess, professionally and legally? I mean, there's we've got to front up to the person, of course, but from a professional and legal point of view, what are your thoughts around mishaps? I'm sure you've had many experiences and stories that you can tell of your own. Yeah, for the salon space, you know, everybody is a person at the end of the day, right? And so like you said, there are issues sometimes that arise when it's just simply an accident, somebody misstepped, a miscalculation. And in order to really protect yourself in those instances, professional liability insurance is a huge factor, a huge game changer. I have a story similar, um, but instead of the wrong color, it is basically too hot of, you know, water in a pedicure chair that really led to this whole mess. And what happened was a client came in to a salon a nail salon to get a pedicure. Uh, he sat down in the chair, the nail tech at the time filled up the uh, bowl, he put his feet in and the water was scolding. So he ended up getting burns on his feet. Well, in addition to the burns on his feet that had to heal and would probably you know, take some time healing for any normal, um, perfectly healthy person, he had some underlying health conditions, he had diabetes. And so his did not heal up as, um, quickly as somebody else would have. And he actually had to have some surgery on some of those um, areas on his feet that got infected. Long story short, this ended up costing the salon $600,000 in settlement. Um, just based off of, you know, the injuries, the treatment and all of that, it was a $600,000 settlement. Now I will say I'm in the States. I forgot to mention that earlier. I'm in um, practicing primarily out of Georgia and California. I'm licensed in both States. And so you know, in the States, we're a little bit more litigious, but it was a $600,000 settlement. And if that salon owner had not had professional liability insurance or some type of insurance to help in situations like this, that could have easily been a lawsuit that crumbled the business, bankrupt the business. Um, maybe not, a, maybe not in a huge capacity with maybe your Paul Mitchell salons of the world, right? But in a mom and pop shop and a fortified hairstylist, fortified nail tech shop, that can easily put you under. Yeah, for sure. So getting into sort of legal contracts of insurance and those types of things, what are the main things we should be looking out for or making sure that we're covered? Because I know when I get a, you know, a document pages long of legal jargon, the last thing I really, truly, if I'm honest, feel like doing is reading all, this, all the fine print. What are the main things we need to look for? 
Yeah. So there are actually a couple. One thing that I think is really important is to understand that for the most part, there are two separate types of insurance that you probably need um, as a salon owner. One is going to be your professional liability insurance. And all of your stylists, depending on how you're set up, should either have their own or be covered under your policy, depending on how you know, you're set up with booth renters or um, actual employees, however that goes. So that's one thing. But then the other thing is professional liability insurance is going to cover you from your mistakes of the scolding hot water, right? Negligence um, on some part of, you know, the stylist or the salon, or in the other case with the hair tube and the, you know, mismatched wrong color, that's all on the professional aspect. But if somebody's walking into your salon um, to their chair and they slip on hair that hasn't been swept up or something like that, that's not necessarily going to be covered under your professional liability that's gonna be more of your general liability insurance. So if there are wet floors coming in or out of your salon or something like that happens, that's a different type of insurance that you need. So I would make sure that you've got your professional liability insurance um, to cover the actual techniques and things like that. And then general liability insurance to cover those accidental things that happen, your slip and falls and, and things like that. And then in addition to that, um, after you are like, okay, I have these two, I have the right insurance that I need. Then the fine print of that, some insurance policies will say that you have to do a patch test. And if you're not doing a patch test and something happens with the hair and you didn't do it, they're not going to cover that, um, that settlement amount or, you know, that claim. If you aren't using the proper con um, consents or intake forms, sometimes the insurance company will say, all right, so this happened. You know, you have the scolding hot water. Let me see the, the intake form. Let me see, you know, if they're susceptible to anything. Let's see what consent forms you have them sign. Did they know that this was a possibility, et cetera, et cetera. So that's another thing you have to make sure that you're doing is following the terms of your policy so that if you do need to use that policy, you're protected. You don't want to pay every month or yearly into a protection plan that you then find out you're not going to get any benefit from because you didn't read the fine print and you weren't doing what was required. Hey, I just wanted to pop in to tell you something. Don't worry, we're gonna get back to this awesome episode in just a second. Now, if this sounds like you, listen up. You have a team, you love your team, but you're sick of wondering why and wishing your team would make their sales targets. You want them to be smashing sales because it shows that they're actually looking after their clients really well. Like imagine if you could have a way to make more from the clients that you already have, increase sales without spending more on advertising. Well, it's totally possible and I want to help you. And I want to help you do it with ease in a classy way. No hard and dirty sales tricks here. Ways to serve your clients, make more because everybody wins, the team, the client, and of course, you, the business owner. Now, if you want to find out more, just DM me uh, and let's chat. I'll make a plan for you. I'm also going to leave a link for you on the show notes of this episode. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I think that's so important. I mean, we hear stories like that all the time. So making sure, well, I guess there's two ways. The insurance that you have, that you know what you need to do to be protected, or find the right insurance company that's going to fit in best with your code of conduct your current practice yeah? correct yeah yeah okay um all roads lead to let a lawyer read it first in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> they do you know you can 
you can never go wrong with having a lawyer read it. Even lawyers have lawyers read stuff, right? When I get a contract, if it's one outside of my wheelhouse, um, or if it is something that I'm like, okay, I think this sounds good, but let me, maybe it's a, a deal that I'm doing. I'm like, I love it, right? But let me make sure that I'm actually adequately protected. Let me have another set of eyes look at it. And so if lawyers are doing that with each other, then people who are not trained in the legal field, it's definitely a good idea. For sure. Let's just talk a little bit about the consent forms and, and clients coming into the salon. I mean, typically, uh, I uh, recommend and suggest that everybody does that in the first place. But my primary objective typically is sort of pre-consultation and for marketing purposes. I mean, those are the pre-things. Am I going to give her the things that she needs? And um, who are the clients coming into my business so I can you know, know how to attract more of them? So what would we need to do to change and shift our, as you called it, intake forms, uh, consent forms? What type of questions should we be adding onto that uh, to ensure that we're covered? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. So it depends kind of on what salon you have. If you're, a, I would say, like a multi-purpose salon that has uh, nails, hair, et cetera, your intake form might look a little bit different. You might have one based on the service that you're going to provide. But I think one of the important things that you're going to have in your intake form is some of that um, health information, right? Are they susceptible to certain types of conditions? Do they have, you know, just eczema, skin conditions, rashes, things like that? Are they allergic to certain types of chemicals, products, things like that? Because in our industry, in the beauty industry, you're doing a lot of things with different types of products. If you're doing bleach, you're using these type of products, right? If you are doing um, color, you're using a different type of product. Nails, you know, there's just a lot of different products and chemicals that go into the services that we provide. And so you want to make sure that you're not using a product that's going to potentially have a negative reaction or a negative consequence with your client. So some of those general questions um, is, are important, I think. Another thing that I like to do in intake forms is get some of those other questions that might not necessarily seem like they're important out there so that if something happens later on down the line with maybe a client being dissatisfied with the service or um, a client saying a service was done incorrectly, that you have those, those questions answered so you can kind of adequately have a conversation. For example, lash techs are um, constantly, I would say, getting hit with, I don't have very good retention on my lashes. All of the lashes on my right eye fell off, right? And I like to put a question in an intake form that people probably are like, why the heck am I answering this question? But the question is, um, on how do you sleep typically, you know, during the night on your right side, on your left side, on your back. And when you're filling it out on your intake form, you have no idea and you really don't care. Like as the, as the client, you're just checking it off. Well, then when a couple days goes by, four days, five days goes by, your new lash client says, all of the lashes in my right eye have fallen off. I don't think you did something correctly. Then you have the, you're charged with the proper documentation to say, well, it's typical that, you know, if you sleep on a certain type of, uh, on one side or the other, that you're going to have less retention on that side. You're going to have an increase in fallout. Here it says you sleep on your right side. So it makes sense that you're having a retention issue on your right side. Maybe try sleeping on your back, a silk pillowcase, things like that. But you wouldn't have that information if you didn't ask that question. And so a brand new stylist or maybe a baby salon might say, oh my gosh, the retention is terrible. Let me refund them. And one refund might not seem like a big deal, but across the masses, it does become a big deal. So, you know, simple things like that that give you that type of information is super helpful. Um, I would say just another thing is um, when you're doing your consultation, 
seeing and making sure that your client understands that if you're going from a very dark hair color to a very blonde hair color, they're not going to get that in one session. You're going to have to tell them, you know, you can't go from a level one or a two to platinum icy blonde at one time. It's going to take multiple times. But if your client is like, hey, I came in and wanted platinum and my hair is caramel, you're like, yeah, that was a really good result for this one setting, right? You're not going to get that after um, just one setting. And I think that that's important to kind of put out those realistic expectations and make sure you're covered. Yeah, and actually have it in writing. Because I know, I know sometimes it's a mindset of our own that we hold as the stylist or even as the business owner that we take the responsibility unnecessarily for these anomalies that happened. Like, you know, you know, if you have one out of a hundred that the right side of the lashes fall out, then probably it's not you. It's probably the person because they're in the anomaly. If right. any of your eyelashes are falling off out of your hundred, then maybe you're doing something wrong. So I know that I remember a time in business when my natural instinct was that I was always responsible. And I don't know why that came about, but I remember that and having to realize that actually I don't need, I need to actually look to what's different first, which is the person that's in my chair. They're the one that's got the, the, the thing that's um, different to the majority of my client's experience. So I've got to investigate what's happening with that person before we rush to the refund and rush to fixing it up for ourselves. And so I love that we're kind of pre- um, preempting that with the right questions up front two that it's in writing and I know um, timely salon software uh, actually have a consult app where you can agree on the outcomes and sign it's on a you know digital format and you both stylist and uh, client sign the consent form if you will it's a consultation form and it's sort of on the back of the consultation but I love that because you've both agreed to the outcome and you're ahead of any future challenges, I guess. Well, I think that's great, you know, because one of the things is providing realistic expectations, right? And I think that your intake form or your consultation form, as you're saying, is saying like, hey, at this, at this session, we are going to get you to here or we're going to do this. And I think having both people sign that is an excellent way to make sure that everybody is understanding um, the expectations and what the outcome is going to be. And I think along those same lines, um, what I also like to do is have clients sign what I consider a client services agreement. And it is different and apart from your consultation form, but it's really basically the policies of the salon. So it goes over refunds, it goes over no-show fees, late cancellation fees. And again, that's in writing, your client signs it. So now if they cancel outside of the period, it's not something where you're like, well, I text you the salon policies or it's on the website. It is actually a signed document, a signed contract where you're like, well, I'd like to refer you to paragraph five where we talk about, you know, cancellations, what that fee is going to be. And they're like, oh, that's right. I did sign a contract. I think there's a little bit more of ump there and a little bit less pushback when they're like, I didn't know that it was a 48 hour cancellation policy. I don't want to pay the cancellation, no show fee or whatever it is. So I think having things in writing, even in the salon setting, is just a good thing to do. I love that. And I actually think post-COVID, like I feel like our industry has elevated somewhat. Um, with In reality, it's really just caught up with times that we got a little bit left behind. But I think it's time now that we can do this. We can do um, booking 
uh, booking fees. We can charge our clients to book and, and uh, we can get, not get away with this is the wrong word, but it's like we are now have the opportunity to elevate ourselves as an industry and demand that kind of respect. And I think things like booking fees, um, uh, signed contracts of engagement, this like this is our opportunity to step up and step into that and engage people in a formal relationship. I love that. Um, and I think now is the time that we've we can do that. I think, you know, a couple of years back, I would have said, oh, I don't know, that's pushing the boundaries a little bit, but I'm, I'm 360. Uh, I've changed well, my mind on that. I think that's great. That actually elevates, the brand that does that elevates. I think it's one of those things where um, before, I think there was kind of this, this, and I won't say stigma, but I think there was this understanding. People will say, oh, I'm just a hairstylist. Oh, I'm just a nail tech right? It's a, I'm just a, it's kind of like a, I'm just a type um, mentality. And so I think when you're thinking I'm just a hairstylist, I don't know that I can make somebody pay before they show up. I don't know that I have the ability to um, charge late fees or cancellation fees or no show fees. And I think it comes from that mentality of I'm just a, I'm just a hairstylist. But I think what we saw during COVID was who really like, Hair, hair salons took a big hit and, you know, um, salons in general took a big hit because they were closed down for the close proximity. But what you also notice is that people could not live without their beauty services. People were very upset about it, right? And so I think that with that came a new mentality being forged that was like, okay, well, my time's really valuable too. And, you know, you guys really also want to come in and my time is just as valuable as the dentist or the doctor. And if you don't cancel within a certain time with them, you have to pay a fee, right? You just do. Um, but as, as far as the contracts go in the beauty industry, I like to remind people, because sometimes I think there's a little pushback with, you know, what you said, it's like, oh, well, we weren't doing that. We haven't done that. Should that be something that we're doing? And I just like to remind people that on a daily basis, you get into contractual obligations with people all the time. If you go get your oil change for the first time at a franchise place, you don't even really pay attention to what you're signing, but you're signing away a lot of stuff, right? You're signing away like waivers and liabilities. And if there's something wrong with my oil change or something happens with this car based off of that, I've already said, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, or if you buy new tires. And so I think if you engage in contractual obligations, going to get your oil change, your hair is not different at all. And it's something that you can train your clients to know and understand this is how it works. Yeah. Down here in uh, the south of the world, um, during COVID, there was a time kind of through multiple lockdowns that uh, the hair and beauty services were considered essential services. And hair in particular, because of this, you know, beauty a little bit more close contact, um, were allowed to open under the guise of essential services for a short time in some states of Australia. Um, and so I kind of love that. I just think, that just shines a light on exactly we are essential how important are we in the mind of our client and um uh we should take that and run with it we're no longer just hairdressers or just beauty therapists we are essential services and people love us and i think this is the this is the opportunity to, to elevate not only our brand but our industry and and um really step forward into that so definitely right well, speaking of kind of elevating and, and I guess future thinking about our brand as we grow, uh, my last sort of question is really around um, 
as we think about future growth and what we want to do next, whether that's selling our business, whether it's having multiple locations or stepping into franchising, whatever it is we decide to do when we, we get some growth, what are some things we need to think about um, in terms of protecting our brand or brand positioning and elevating that whole uh, branding experience? I would say one of the main things that a salon owner or a salon can do to kind of elevate, to kind of be forward thinking on where their beauty business might be going is trademarks. Trademarks are really a great way to protect your intellectual property. And I know what happens sometimes is people think, oh, well, when you think of intellectual property or IP, I'm not really thinking about my salon or my salon name. Um, but your salon name, the brand that you're building is intellectual property, and you want to make sure that you own it. And so one of the ways that you can do that is by getting trademarks and you can trademark your brand or business name. You can trademark your logo. You can trademark signature services. So if you have a, you know, cute menu design with different types of, you know, maybe your haircut's called something special and your hair color is called something special and they're signature to you, you can trademark that name too. And so when you go to package or a uh, sell or a franchise opportunity, you can say, I have all of these things trademarked. I have the name trademarked. These brand colors are trademarked. Um, you know, these signature services are trademarked. I know that out in the States, we have um, a dry bar, you know, the blowout um, salon bar and they're franchised everywhere. And they have really cute names with like the different type of blowouts that you're going to get. And those are something that could be trademarked. And you want to have all of those things trademarked. So when you do try to sell that, you can position yourself as one having this value because you own this and nobody else can come along and try to copy your exact idea because if they do, they are infringing on your intellectual property. And I think that's one major thing. But then a second thing is that if you are looking to expand and you maybe don't want to franchise, but you're looking for investors. Well, investors are going to want to make sure that there is little risk that there's going to be some type of issue with your intellectual property. Investors are pretty, you know, business savvy when it comes to making sure that they are engaging in business transactions that are um, less risky or least risky. And so one of the examples of that I like to give just on risk and adding value to your brand with a trademark is Kylie Cosmetics or Kylie Skin. They and I say they, but Kylie really created this brand, this line of cosmetic and skincare that had a huge following. And it wasn't because of some great new product that nobody else had. It wasn't because of some pigment in her cosmetics that nobody else was using, right? The reason why it got so big was because it was Kylie and it was her brand and she positioned it in the market that way as Kylie Cosmetics. So she would have went into her investor meeting or to sell her business and said, hey, I have these pink package products, like there's no name associated with it. There's no brand following associated with it. It's just this pink product that I want to sell to you for a billion dollars. The investors, the people that were going to sell it would have been like, well, why is this worth a billion dollars? It's pink packaging. There's nothing special about it. What really was worth a lot of money to them was the name brand Kylie Cosmetics, because they know the brand, they know the following, they know kind of what that intellectual property does and having the right to use that name on new products really is the reason why that brand was elevated. You know, it was worth so much because it had brand elevation because there was value to that name and that product. And I think that that goes along the lines of salon owners. If you create a product you love, you create this following and you have this massive brand that you could sell to somebody else, 
they're going to want to make sure you own it. Do you own it? Can I use this name freely? Am I going to get hit with any lawsuits? Things like that. And having your trademark shows that you own it, shows that there's a value to it. And I think it really helps elevate your brand overall. Yeah, great. I think that's really um, smart thinking. I wouldn't have considered that for, uh, you know, at, at, at that level, but it really makes sense. And I love that. So uh, super useful. And, you know, I would say another thing on the trademarks is, you know, you think about elevating it, you think about things like that. But one of the other things too, is on a smaller scale, just people copying you, just your everyday, mm -hmm. maybe you're on social media and you've got a brand name, you've got a salon and somebody pops up another little mom and pop shop with a very similar idea, very similar concept, very similar name without your trademark, mm -hmm. even on a small scale, you don't have any rights to tell that salon, Hey, my name, my signature services, because you don't own it. You're just renting it. So it's almost yeah. like you're just renting this brand that you're building. So it's really important, even on a small scale, big scale, but trademarks are, are great for salon owners. Yeah, for sure. And I think that happens probably more often than we realize. Definitely. All right, Rihanna, uh, you're a business owner. Uh, what would you say is a quote or a mantra that keeps you sane and steady and forward focused? I like to say your business may be small today, but we're in the business of building empires. And so you have to treat your business and run your business like the CEO that you are. And I think that that applies all across the board, really um, in every aspect of your business, just treat it like you're the CEO and run it like an empire because it might be small today, but it's got the potential to be huge. I love that. That resonates with me. Uh, very very much um, it's as big your business is as big as you make it in your mind so you've got to let it be big um, so I love that that's great all right Absolutely. what is a, um, a book a podcast or a resource that you have consumed recently that you think all salon owners must get their hands on I have been um, doing a lot of I guess resources on Instagram right and one of the ones that I think is big for salon owners is um, a girl that I follow, she's called Small Business CPA, and she gives lots of different resources on how to really run your business from a financial standpoint. And she actually, like me, um, went to beauty school, didn't end up doing um, hair or anything, but now is an accountant for salon owners. That's her whole focus. And I think that she's got great resources on just how to make sure that you're managing taxes, managing accounting and finances in a legit way so that you don't have issues with taxes on the back end. I love uh, the advice of going to somebody who is industry specific, because I just hear too many stories of uh, hair and beauty professionals going to the wrong accounting person who just doesn't really understand the type of business and either getting no advice or the wrong advice. So I think that is great advice. <laughs> All right. Where can uh, we stalk you, find you? What's your dub, dub, dub? And uh, where can we find you on Instagram? Yeah. So my, in, um, my, my website is www.shetrademarks.com. I'm also on Instagram as she trademarks. And I love to give all kinds of different resources, quick tips and tricks on ways to make sure that you're legally protecting your brand and your business. And I love to interact with fellow hairstylists, salon owners, and kind of see how I can help you, how I can be a resource to the salon and beauty business. 
Amazing. Well, I appreciate everything you've had to share with us today, uh, Brianna. Thank you again for joining me on the Solo Donors Collective podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Riona, thank you so much for your time this week on the podcast. I hope you listening found this incredibly valuable. It's so important that you put yourself first and protect your business from anything that may get thrown your way. You're on a journey to building an empire and becoming the salon CEO. So I don't want anything stopping you from getting there. Now, you know that I live by the saying systems and processes shall set you free. And this is definitely one of those moments. Now, if you're looking to stay connected with me and continue to learn industry expert advice, then I would love for you to come and join me in my profitable and successful Salon Owners Facebook group. I've left the link for you in the show notes of this episode. Otherwise, look forward to connecting with you same time, same place on the podcast. Ciao for now. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the podcast. Tune in every week as I reveal the latest insights and advice on what it takes to truly master your inner salon CEO and master your salon success. Subscribe to the Salon Owners Collective podcast on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at www.salonownerscollective.com. But make sure to join me in my Facebook group for answers to common questions and much, much more. Thanks for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.